It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Everything It's Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove and it's time for our weekend review. Joined as usual by Chris Woff and special guest George Culkin of The Times. Thank you very much, George, for coming in. You're very welcome. Nice uh, it's here. been a while since we've had you on. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, okay. All good. And how are you, Chris, after that? Uh, shall we say it was an interesting game on Saturday night. It's a 7.45 kickoff. We were well aware of what will be happening during the day to make it an even more uh, brilliant atmosphere in the stands and it didn't disappoint. No, me and George were just discussing it on the way through when George arrived, just how did you feel about 7.45 kickoffs on a Saturday? I mean, the atmosphere was brilliant. I think it took a little while to get going, but I think that's almost because some fact... It, it is, it, it's different to a midweek game where obviously people go to work first or whatever, where some fans, I'm sure, enjoy themselves in the city centre throughout the game. And it did are feel like it took that, a long way. Are, are you suggesting that people might have had an alcoholic drink before kickoff? I mean, potentially a couple, just one or two. Mm. Not too many, I wouldn't have thought. I had eight pints before kickoff just to, <laughs> just to, just to, just to get into the swing of things. Just to put right. up with Mark Douglas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, even that isn't isn't enough, I don't think. But uh, yeah, and I mean the f- war flags that I thought it looked exceptional. I was because I have to be honest, I'd spoken to the guys about it, and I was really looking forward to it. And about ten minutes before they unveiled it, there was just that part of me thinking, "Is this going to be a bit of a letdown? We've had such a big build up to the fact that this flag's going to be." A, and I thought it looked excellent. I thought everyone being involved in it and the fact that it did go the length and breadth of, of the Gallagher looked brilliant and then it set up what was a fantastic atmosphere and a fantastic game really most certainly now a few Liverpool fans complaining that teams go for it against Liverpool and they don't go for it against City but Rafa Benitez was never going to sit back and just allow Liverpool to come to Tyneside and, and get the three points no of course not no and um, you know you only have to look back at Newcastle's results last season, and look back at Man City's last defeat to see, to see how uh, you know to see what's happened this season, and you know I think any anybody that knows Rafa as a person knows that he would be at it. I mean, he's he's at it for every single game. The question is whether the team is, and you know he does have that kind of huge affection and and kind of hinterland with Liverpool, and that's and that's great. But I'm sure there's part of him. You know, inside it, he, I mean, I don't think he wants other people to do things that he didn't manage to do. So, I mean, you know, that's that's a, just a small personal point, but no. And but I would like to say, as as Chris pointed out, I mean, there was two the two things about the the, the day 
or the night sort of stood out for me. The first thing was seeing Newcastle released from the shackles of relegation, able to sort of play with a bit of freedom, to if not quite go toe to toe with the top team, they're not far off. And then the other side of it was, yeah, was that display before kickoff, which was which was beautiful and extraordinary, and it rams home those two things. At the moment, Newcastle t- have two world-class things going for them. They've got their manager, I don't think anybody disputes that, and they have the fan base. Now, that's something we talk about a lot, and it becomes a, it's become a, it's a cliche, and you can sort of, you can, you can sort of, uh, you can put that into various forms of context, but there was that report recently, wasn't there, uh, which I'm sure you covered about attendances across the world. Newcastle have a world-class fan base, and they have a world-class manager. Can you imagine what the club could be like if another box was ticked at the club, if, if everybody at the club was working toward the same sort of end goal. So it's maddening, it's infuriating, but there was also that you know great feeling of potential at the club. Uh, just to echo George's comments as well about Benitez, I think it was pointed in his press conference on Friday that whenever he was pushed as he would have been about his Liverpool connections and about to compare his team to back then, I think there's a part of him which also resents that comparison to a certain degree because he feels when he was at Anfield that he didn't have the resources that Man City and Liverpool possess now and he doesn't think it's necessarily a fair comparison. So when it comes on to would he have not wanted to to win that game on Saturday, I think that although he he holds so much affection for Liverpool and would never wish ill of them, that part of him probably wanted to win that game more than most to, to show, look, this is what I am capable of doing with the resources I have against a team who, albeit, yes, they've sold some players for a lot of money, is worth the best part of £500 million, whereas the, the team he had, he kept on talking about the fact he had to bring on David Ngo as his second striker for Torres, who cost £1.5 million at the time, and whereas at the moment Liverpool, obviously, the two players they brought on made the difference in the end, even if they have been bit part players themselves at Liverpool this season. Well, so it's interesting that Arguably Newcastle's two most talented players in Lejeune. I mean, this is just my opinion. In Lejeune and Almiron, they were missing. So imagine if Newcastle had gone toe-to-toe with Liverpool with them two fully fit and, and raring to go. Absolutely. And imagine what the league table might look like if Almiron arrived three weeks earlier or if, if Rondon had arrived a few weeks earlier and was up to speed. I mean, I suppose we can, you know, you can make that point about any team at any stage of the season. There's always... There are always teams missing, aren't there? I mean, if Salah had stayed on the on the pitch, you know. So, but but yeah, no, we've seen a real glimpse in the last few weeks when Almiron's been uh, been fit about what that team could be, and that the front three in particular do look very exciting. And uh, I mean, I thought Rondon again was was fabulous on Saturday night, and you know what a great. It's just great watching a proper centre forward play for Newcastle. I've sort of said this for a long time now. If 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 he was kind of half a stone lighter and five years younger, what a what a what a player he would be. But then we wouldn't be watching him at Newcastle. So, I mean, I suppose the positive thing is that the foundations are there. Um, but then we've mentioned this before that to build them foundations, you will need Rafa Benitez and you will need Salmon Rondon as well, or someone. Um, in the same kind of build, someone who will follow up and instructions right down to the letter. Yeah, and it requires investment because if you look at the Newcastle, the first choice Newcastle team that you just mentioned, so if Lejeune was fit, if Almiron was fit, then that team, certainly between February and April, looked very, very good and the points return was excellent. But it's below that. You need 
not only do you need Rondon to stay, there needs to be genuine backup. Newcastle, as I've mentioned before, have been very lucky over the last few months that Rondon hasn't been injured. If Rondon had been injured, I think the season could have looked very, very different in a negative sense because he's provided 10 goals, 7 assists, but he provides so much more than that. He's the focal point of the team, gives everything to them. You look, Benitez made the point himself after the game that the main difference between Man City, Liverpool and the rest is just the strength and depth. Now, I'm not saying Newcastle are going to suddenly construct a squad which is going to rival those, but they need to have strength and depth to make sure they can rival the likes of Wolves, the likes of Leicester, who are in mid-table. At the moment, you take out that front three, and I don't necessarily think that the backup's there, albeit I thought Atsu probably had his best game in a Newcastle shirt on Saturday. I thought he was very, very good and grew in confidence. And actually once had he an end product a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it yeah. looked like that yeah. goal gave him real confidence and he really took on. I thought he gave Alexander-Arnold defensively a torrid time. He was very good in attack for Liverpool, but I thought defensively he struggled for them. So for Newcastle, yeah, it's about the foundation is there, but it's worthless. If you, Well, not worthless, but it isn't worth it as much as it could be if you're not going to build upon it. It's just that base foundation level that's what Benitez keeps saying that's what he, he wants to build on he wants to he keeps using the term be competitive have balance in the squad at the moment he doesn't quite have that and he wants to know that he can have that going forward yeah and you you get the feeling that sort of emotionally if not actually if not actually Rondon is sort of like the spiritual battleground of this football club I'm sure you've talked about this lots lots before for me okay he's 29 at the moment he's 30 this year if you get two more seasons out of him at a minimum, could be three, it is his transfer fee is is almost nothing. If you get if you split it up into seasons, the way that experienced players can help improve youngsters, can help bring them on. He is the focal point of the team, as Chris says. Um it's it's just a no brainer. It's just a no brainer. It doesn't matter what the wages are and you know the rest of it. It's it's a footballing argument about how experience can bring on youth, and we've seen that we've seen that perfectly in the last two or three months. Yes, Almiron has brought a different dimension to the team, but with Rondon, Perez looks like a different player, and you know it it, it is that is the battleground of the football club at the minute. And you just the point I made earlier about potential, it's there to see. How do you get the club to join the dots? It's the it's always been the big issue under Mike Ashley, and it and it still is. Just on the on the Rondon point, in terms of when you say about experience, if you just look back at Saturday's game and the amount of times that Rondon appeared to be isolated, had no one around him, is up against the PFA Player of the Year in Van Dijk, a Liverpool defensive who looked transformed since he's been there, and. As a lot of people said, he made them look uncomfortable. You put yeah. a twenty-two-year-old who you're saying from the continent in there next season without having Rondon to work alongside for a year and learn off. I'm sorry, but they're not going to do the same job. Yeah. That is battle hard and that is experience. And he's got that because he's twenty-nine years of age. He's played around Europe. A twenty-two-year-old at this stage can't do that. If you brought someone in next season alongside him to work with him and maybe in 18 months, two years, he's going to be the first choice striker. That to me seems like the ideal model, but you need Rondon there for him to work with and learn off. And I guess James Milner flourishing at Liverpool, he's nearing the end of his career, but he's played most of the games this season. It's an example of how important experience is. I mean, Klopp could go out and sign a number of players, but he chose to sign an experienced man who's, who is nearing the end of his career to help, you know, T- uh, challenge for the title yeah Milner I think the company last night's a perfect example he hasn't played the majority of the season he's been injured he's played the last three matches I think started of five of the last seven for Man City 
he comes up in those big moments with the experience he shows. He's been there before. He's got the composure, the calmness. I think Rafa Benitez is quite on board with the overarching model of luck you're saying players and develop them. But the best way to develop players is to have experienced players around them. The one thing I think Newcastle always got wrong before they got Benitez was thinking you could just sign the players without having the coach to develop them. I think they've got the coach there now, but now you need to listen to what he's telling you. And that is that we need experienced players without the squad. Diarmi is almost certainly going to leave now as well, unless Newcastle suddenly offer him a two-year deal. That's experience in midfield they're going to lose. That's two, the two most experienced regular players other than the goalkeeper are, are, prob- are at the moment going to leave this summer. Newcastle have to replace that because otherwise... Hayden's could... almost certainly going to yeah. leave. You know, there's others, you know. So, I, I, you know, I, when I talk about sort of joining the dots and also talk about potential, it's all connected with this because it's there are so many models at Newcastle that kind of that could work. Youth... Youth is fine. I mean, I think most people would buy into that, but there do have to be exceptions, and and there have been over the last two or three seasons. But that has to carry on. You see, if 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 your if your first point of reference is youth, you'll fail. If your first point of reference is age, you'll fail. The first point of re- the first building block has to be making a team, and at the moment, Newcastle have got a good team. Uh, they're not world-class players, but they're they're a really, really good team, and that has to be the basis for everything. And that does take experience, and it does take a mix of different qualities, and it does take balance, to use the word that Rafa's always goes on about. The other thing, though, is that this has been this has been going on for twelve years now. Imagine if twelve years ago, ten years ago, the club had invested in the academy in a real, meaningful, lasting way. They talked about it. I spoke to Derek Lambias about it years and years ago about how if there was ever an injury or they lost a player to another club the first thing they would do would look behind and see what was there to 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 kind of come into the team Rafa would go along with that if that was the if that was one of the overarching principles of the club but it's I mean what why hasn't that happened now can you imagine the noise on Saturday night with the banner and the flags and supporters and then a team that was populated by young players who'd come from the academy, if that was your identity about how powerful that could be and potentially how successful that could be, it takes it takes that leap of imagination. And you can't be fixated on one thing above everything else. The first thing has to be about building a team and that's where Newcastle have let themselves down in the past. And I think you can see that because watching the 23s a few times this season, there's not one person you'd really say is, is ready for the first team experience, everyone talked about Sorensen, but you watch him. We watched him against Sunderland, and it was—you could see he wasn't ready. I think we were all at that game. He wasn't ready. You could see he was getting knocked off the ball too easily. And you look around, and and there are players who, with potential, Watts is another one, but he's going to take another year or so to step up. And then you have players who have been in there a while. Bollies, I'll be coming back. He's just on loan at Accrington. You've got Owen Bailey. These players haven't yet made the step up, and time is running out for them. And that's is that yeah. think partly down to the facilities there as well, because the academy and the, and the, the training ground isn't helping their pro- progression. So there's a couple of things to say about that. Firstly, long staff coming through shows us that you never quite know, do you? Mm-hmm. Until someone gets a chance, you never quite know. And long staff has been sensational. The other thing is that there, was, there are really good people involved at the academy in positions of responsibility, but there has not been a coherent policy in place. And you know you've also had other stuff going on like the Peter Beersley thing. You've, you know that how that can be as uh, sort of secret and can go on for you know as long as long as the Flaming Chilcot inquiry or 
take longer than Brexit to get, you know, to get, and we still don't know sort of what the answers uh, were there and what was kind of going on there. That is just nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. If you want to, if if that's what you want your, if you, if you want the policy of your club to be based around youth, the first part of it has to be the academy. And all right, so Newcastle can't be Man City or Chelsea in terms of transfer fees, but they could portray themselves as the club of the north. And, you know, at the moment, in terms of the Premier League, and this is not meant with disrespect to Sunderland or Middlesbrough, who who, who have good academies, you know, this is the only Premier League club from the Scottish borders down to Burnley. There's a huge catchment area and there's a huge chance to... to to say, look, we will give kids a chance. We will. This is what. This is who we are, and what we'll do. And you know, to back that, back that plan. That should be. If, if youth is your policy, that should be the first port of call. Is to make this the best academy in the country. And there's no reason why Newcastle can't do that. And in, term, in terms of academies, you look at the top six teams now. Just about every single one of them has at least one player. I think all of them actually have at least one player who's come through their own academies who are now regulars, which wasn't happening. They, those teams have invested so much. There was a lot over the years about Man City who spent so much on the academy, don't actually produce players themselves. Phil Foden is now playing. Chelsea even have a couple of their players playing in Loftus-Cheek and uh, also Hudson-Odoi. Liverpool, Alexander Arnold, the players they've brought through, Joe Gomez. Brewster's talking about playing tomorrow. Brewster's. Tonight so against Barcelona. This is even those clubs who can afford to pay elite wages and transfer fees even they recognise the value A to your own to, to I think to, to organically bring up your own talent is something very special and there's a different connection between players the way Longstaff's come through this year has been special and fans have embraced that and it, it's been excellent but that should be something which happens on a more regular basis it was it's been so amazing because Newcastle hadn't anyone since Paul Dummett who'd really broken in that first team. That, that's the best part of more than half a decade. I mean, that just shouldn't happen. The, the, the Chelsea thing I find fascinating because on the one hand, I mean, not specifically this season, but at first team level, it's an incredibly successful club over the Premier League era. At youth team level, it's incredibly <laughs> successful. It wins stuff every season and they produce this extraordinary array of players. Now, there's there has been... A massive disconnect between the two parts of the club, because the youth team players haven't found a way, haven't found a way into the first team. And I would argue that's partially because they change managers all the time. So when a new manager comes in, he doesn't have the 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 freedom or the um, he knows he's not going to have the patience to to put in a youth team left left back for six months, come what may, and say, look, this position's yours, take it. So the first thing they do is to look outside of the club to bring in ready-made quality because it turns out that spending 30 million quid or 40 million quid is less of a gamble than putting in one of your youth team players, which is crazy when you think about it. It's crazy. But so imagine that the other way around. You have a manager in Benitez who is hearsay for three years and he has the freedom and the time to use that resource to turn behind, put that player in, and effectively say that position is yours. I mean, I think that, you know, I think there is a way of making that model both successful and uh, for a club to f- thrive using that model. But it's the same as everything. There has to be the ambition to do it in the first place, and there has to be that connect between all parts of the club, and there just aren't. Yeah, just a couple of questions then before we move on to um, the rather contentious decisions on Saturday. Rondon, do you think 
there's been a bit of movement on that because Benitez was sounding a bit more positive in the, in the pre-match uh, press conference before Liverpool. Do you think, because we all know that is going to be a key uh, thing to, to get to get nailed down, do you think there's been a bit of movement on that? On the Rondon situation, yeah. Uh, well, I think that all. I think the first thing that has to happen is 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 the Rafa's side of it, and then things things flow from there. I mean, there are all sorts of sort of interesting subplots because, of course, West Brom could still come up, so that could that could change things. Um, and then there's all the you know there's all the kind of usual stuff that's happening around Newcastle. So there's contract negotiations or non-negotiations as is more accurate and you know we're also now back in there people will people will want to throw up when I say the word takeover but um, we're back in that window now Newcastle is safe the transfer window isn't open so this is now the window when when that could happen and in spite of the you know in spite of it kind of being said that that's over for now. It's not. There is stuff still happening behind the scenes. Um, whether that leads to anything, I'm not saying that for a second, and I will believe it when I see it. But there are all sorts of complicating factors around at the minute which don't help clear all that Do you stuff think- up. And, well, just because another complicating factor as well is Dwight Gale. And it, obviously, that partly depends on, on West yep. Brom coming up or not. But if, if West Brom don't come up, then Newcastle would certainly I'm almost sure we'll explore the possibility of Gale as a part of a swap deal for Rondon but it's getting Gale to leave part up because I mean Dwight Gale actually got a pay rise to go to West Brom he wasn't that keen to go in the first place so that could complicate things if Gale decides he doesn't want to go there if he wants another crack at the Premier League so it is quite a complicated deal unfortunately because Newcastle negotiated this bespoke loan deal rather than just signing Rondon last summer it's now come into a very complex situation where they may end up having to pay more because they had to they didn't pay the, f- the money last year. How key do you think is Rondon to Benitez's future? Though is it what Benitez going in saying, look, it's him, or I don't sign, or do you think that's a bit too strong? I don't think it's quite that strong. I think Benitez will certainly make the case that he wants Rondon. He would like Rondon to be here, and if not, he wants to know what what alternative he can sign instead because he needs Rondon as the focal point of his team. And regardless of, of whether they sign Rondon or if Rondon signs, I still need to sign another striker this summer because Hosselu is probably going to leave but even if he doesn't he hasn't even been on the bench since the start of March they don't have a second out and out striker option so Benitez needs to know what he's going to sign there I, I, I can't see Rondon signing anyway if Benitez doesn't stay so Rondon staying is very much determined yeah. on Benitez I don't think it's much. It's, it's so much of a Benitez is going to sit there and say I definitely won't be here if Rondon's not here but I think he's going to push the case very much for Rondon and if not he needs to see that there's someone who he believes can lead the line for Newcastle consistently as well, if not better than Rondon, and that is going to cost serious money. So I'd say that the likelihood is if Benitez stays, then they're probably going to have to go and get Rondon for him. Just finally, obviously Huddersfield being relegated, um, they look like they're about to be sold, and yet uh, the current owner is still committing to £20 million investment on a new training ground. You can understand your cast nights for the fans' frustrations when they see stories like that. Yes, I mean, what I, before I even make this point, I will counter that when Newcastle went down both times well certainly the second time Mike Ashley did finally put some money in which he, he recouped which is the thing I've never really understood about Mike Ashley is he's quite willing to invest when Newcastle are in a bad situation but he never invests from a position of strength now he hasn't in the training ground and the training ground is, is the thing that really frustrates me it's the thing that really frustrated me when we sat down in front of Charnley last month that I kept on saying that at the moment there is no provision to actually improve the training facilities the club insists that they accept that 
in time they would like to do it but there's no time frame for it they say they haven't got the money at the moment to do that as well as invest in the first team and while i can partly see where they come from there this is an investment which the it's it's almost intangible what you could actually gain from it i think it would just it would have a positive effect across the entire entirety of the football club in my opinion Mike Ashley should put the money down and go and just do it because I think he would then have more of a saleable asset as well when he keeps on talking about the football club if he puts 15 million in roughly which I think it would take to do it then suddenly Newcastle I think it would in- increase in performance I know Lee Charnley made what was a, I thought was a naive comment about where well, we won the championship with oh. this training ground all that sort of stuff I, I found that naive and I found it quite unpalatable to say something like that when quite clearly Clubs are investing in the training grounds across Europe for a very good reason, or for several very good reasons. That you improve the medical facilities, you lessen the likelihood of injuries, you improve the environment for players to get better. You just create an atmosphere of excellence. At the moment, Newcastle don't have that. I'm I'm sorry, but the training ground they have improved in certain parts, but that training ground compared to some of their competitors, and George has been to a lot more than me. You've been to Brighton, and he's seen just how the difference in the club. You invest, you invest, spot on. You you invest in people. You it's about what is what what does Rafa do as a manager? He he makes players get better. He brings incremental improvement to people over time. That's what a training ground does. You surround you you rid players of excuses, as you say. You 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 surround them with excellence. You make them feel better than they actually are. You make them one percent better. You make them two percent better. You get them fitter quicker. You do all of those things. And to sort of somehow say that it didn't stop getting Newcastle promoted or to finish 10th last season is to miss the point so much you're striving to get better you're striving to be excellent you're striving for the best and you put a system in place that allows that to happen it's I mean, Newcastle can't afford it they say they shouldn't be able to afford not to because it's and if you if it take if investing means borrowing well to 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 make your infrastructure better well most of us have mortgages or 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 do that and you you do it and you understand the the medical room at the training ground is a converted squash court i mean does that matter well no not really but it's not telling players that they're the most special people in the world and they should do that that's how they should feel and then when they make mistakes the mistake isn't because the facilities aren't great so they have no excuses. It's, I mean, I mean, it's as I say, a club that can't join the dots. That's one of the one of the big things. That two two things are right at the club, and the rest of it is just it's uh, it's it's baffling. I find it bizarre. They don't even have a swimming pool uh, at the training ground. I mean, you've been to Brighton, you've been to a few other places. Leicester are going to build a fantastic facility. Do you think players' heads are turned by the facilities if they walk in? If a player walks into you know, Benton sees what's on offer, and then the next day they go down to Brighton see what's on on, on offer. Do you think they are the heads are turned, or do you think it's it's more than that? So I think it's more than that. I think Lee Charnley sort of said that no players turn the club down because of their training facilities. But again, that's not that shouldn't really be the point. You want to blow players away. You should be doing that full stop. And Newcastle's facilities uh, are inferior to Sunderland's, who are in League One. They're inferior to Middlesbrough's, who are in the Championship. Brighton. Brighton's facility is is extraordinary, and this summer um, I was down there not too long ago to see Chris Hewton, and they're improving it again, and they're they're putting the women in with the men, and you know it has that feeling of a club that's pu- everybody is pushing in the same direction and everybody is striving for stuff. Now I know Newcastle have finished above Brighton uh, in the Premier League, but 
really that's that's not the point um and uh you know no newcastle there's no reason why newcastle shouldn't have one of the best facilities in the country because that can be their selling point it's like okay so again as i said before about the academy fine we're not going to spend 50 million quid on a player but we'll spend this on you and we'll while you're here we will make you better and that should be part of the identity. It should be so obvious. Well, I also think, I mean, what, another thing Charlie said was that he, he would get annoyed that people suggest that, that all Newcastle want is to survive in the Premier League every year. But the problem is things like this give you that impression. Everything that's it, making comments as like, oh, we won the championship title even with it. It makes it sound like we just need the bare minimum to get to where we want. We, we don't want to keep pushing boundaries. We'll do what we can to just make sure we're there rather than try and reach that point above. And that that's what's so frustrating. It just sounds, it, it, it shows a, a lack of ambition. Also, just as, as Joe said, it doesn't make the, the players feel special. They're thinking, well, that'll do for them. They, they can put up with that for now. And then in a few years, maybe we'll have the money from somewhere. I just think that should be first and foremost. I actually think that if... If they were so determined not to borrow the money, which I agree with George, I should go and borrow the money because I, it's in football terms, I don't think fifteen million is a huge amount of money. They took out a loan, well, they took out a temporary overdraft last uh, in January in order to help pay for the Almiron deal. So why they, they go, don't don't go there? Don't go and do this. Sorry for the training ground. I find incredible because you're going to make that back in so many ways in the careers. And if it did mean that that had to spend £5 million less than a player this summer, I would say, right, take the hit, but borrow the other £10 million and make sure you get it done. It's the same, it's, 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 austerity, it's footballing austerity. It's the same thing about politics. It's the same thing that we, that we see in the country at the minute. You, you invest in stuff. So it's the same argument about the stadium. Now, Ashley has been incredibly lucky that he's not had to really spend on infrastructure since he's been here. The stadium... You know, we hear, we see and hear fans talking now about bits of the stadium degrading and needing a lick of plane, and and more than that in some in some areas. Well, is it okay? Well, yeah, yeah, it's okay, yeah, it's okay. But if one of the things about the club that's world class is their supporters, then they should feel world class. You want them to going in there, not thinking that it's them and us, with us being fans and Rafa on one side and them being the club. If it's all us. How how powerful is that for the club? If if everybody's in it together and you go into that stadium feeling like it's your home, feeling like you're being taken care of, feeling like you're being looked after, feeling that you're being encouraged to shout and support your team. If it feels like home, if it feels like your place, then it becomes, you know, it should it should that should be the loudest stadium in Europe. You know, there's no reason why Newcastle can't be Borussia Dortmund in terms of the noise and atmosphere on a match day. We've seen glimpses of it with what war flags have done and and so on and so forth, so on and so forth. But it just takes a duty of care and it's it's austerity. It's austerity it's footballing austerity. And that's why Newcastle can't thrive under the current ownership. I don't think many would uh, disagree with you there, George. Uh, just remember to like and subscribe to the podcast and leave uh, a review on whatever podcast uh, platform you do listen through. So two uh, very interesting decisions on Saturday, which really did rile Newcastle fans. We'll talk about the uh, handball on the line. Uh, Atsu obviously scored from Trent Arnold uh, handball, but lots of people are saying he should have been sent off. Yeah, I'm, I'm conflicted on this one. So I understand the rule. So the rule is you can't you can't have both. You can't have both the goal and the sending off. Fair enough. But Alexander Arnold should have been booked. I actually get the impression, and I don't know what George said. I don't think the referee, even if the Newcastle hadn't scored, I don't think he'd seen the handball. I don't think he was going to give it. 
So that's where it becomes a part because I think he's looking directly at it. And I could see from my seat, but my immediate reaction was he's handled that. I don't see how he stopped it from going on the line otherwise. But it was interesting because I asked a couple of the players after the game about the incident and a couple of them, I think it was Perez and Atsu, were both sort of saying, if you'd offered me in that moment, would we have taken the goal? Would we have taken a penalty and a red card? I think in the context of 20 minutes into a game, even if it's against Liverpool and you're 1-0 down, I think you probably take... I personally, I don't know about you, I would probably take a red card and a penalty in that situation. You then got 70 minutes. If it's the 85th minute of the game and you need the goal to get back in the game, I think it's different. But in the context of where it was in that match, I think it might have been more beneficial for Newcastle, albeit the horrendous record of penalties, <laughs> to, to, to have the penalty and the red card. And it was, I mean, just just thankful that Atsu actually followed up and scored because a couple of the players had basically just stopped and were repeating, but Atsu followed up and scored and it gave him the confidence to go on. But yeah, I, I personally think that the red card and the penalty may have been a better option. Can you remember yeah. a different? Can you remember that happening? I can't remember that, that this this situation cropping up before. No, no. I think as a sort of natural born, well, I'm not natural born pessimist. I think I've become a pessimist after <laughs> forty odd years of watching Newcastle. I would, I would probably take the goal. <laughs> Just always take the goal because there's too much that can go, too much that can go wrong. But. Yeah, no, no, I was sort of having that debate. I was having that de- exactly that debate on Saturday with people. Do you take the penalty, red card? Mm, I don't know. That's tough. But, yeah, and, as, and you know, the the uh, the sort of annoyance is sort of how much uh, how much he, he was then involved in Liverpool's, in Liverpool's goals as well. So, you know, but... And obviously then the free kick, which led to the winner... I'm not really sure how the linesman can can give this. You know, force the floor like he's been swung round, and Matt Ritchie puts a finger on him. I mean, of course, the other side is that Newcastle then have to defend that. They didn't do that very well, but they should never be in that position in the first place. There shouldn't be. I, I think I'm going to be in the the tiniest tiniest minority here and say that I just I just thought that the situation that it was in I thought I know Matt Ritchie doesn't actually really touch him I just thought it was naive to get as close as he did and give the review I always thought Fabinho was going to go down and I, I think a lot's been made about this, the fact that this free kick was given and look it's, a, it's the thing that led to the goal but I, I, I'm not as outraged as I think some people are by it because I think if it was the opposite way around Newcastle were in that situation Newcastle fans are screaming for a free kick even with the most minimal of contact the other way around so I, I realise I'm probably going to have a lot of people tweeting me with abuse after this saying I'm wrong fair enough if you believe that but I, I, I'm not feeling the outrage for that one as much as I am for, I thought the handball was more I'm beginning to controversial. think you're, like, you're, you're creating this character there's a few times in the last few weeks you're doing this I'm thinking you might be doing this creating this little character just to get the more lovable idiot <laughs> something like that George your take um, on it so I don't I mean I know what you mean but my issue isn't that Fabinho went down, it's that he went up and yeah. then he went down. And so, you know, the the notion of players going down with minimal contact is, OK, well, fair enough, that's that's the area we, era we live in. But I don't think there was any contact, if let alone minimal. And I'm sorry, that dive was so awful. Um, now that it's Tuesday, am I kind of worried about that now? No, not really. But um, but no, it was it was horrible. I mean, I think bigger picture, I would always want my team to sort of concentrate on their own failings. And I do agree with Chris that defensively, it was not a brilliant evening. One but, man who didn't have the best games, he argued for for two of the goals was Jamal Lascelles. 
is this the reason why so far none of these big four, big six teams have come in from? We've heard the rumours that, you know, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City have all been interested and more watched them over the past few years. But the mistakes like we saw on Saturday that do creep into his game and, and do every so often, is that the reason he's still, no disrespect, still here at Newcastle? Yeah, maybe. I mean, he is still young. We have to we have to remember that before Benitez came in, he'd hardly played any games in the Premier League. And so he's still learning at this level. I think we have to have a bit of sort of understanding for that. And I think we also have to accept that that is the reality of Newcastle's team right across the board, that... Um, you know anybody is capable of making a mistake, and if a Newcastle player makes a mistake, makes a mistake, chances are it'll be punished, and chances are Newcastle won't win. That's just the team that they have at the moment. Uh, yeah, he's got that in his locker, hasn't he? But he also has saved Newcastle plenty of times. He's got a lot of potential still. Um, I still think those clubs will be interested in him because I think there's definitely a, I think there's definitely a player there. But he does, I think he does lose concentration, and that is the. I think that's the most difficult thing to teach a player because that's not about talent, is it? It's about something else. I think what he does bring to Newcastle as well is, is leadership. There is natural yeah. leadership there and I don't think they have too many other players in the team, maybe Matt Ritchie aside and a couple of others who, who bring that. I agree, he does make mistakes from time to time but I also think that he is in Newcastle's best three central defenders when they played the three when it was Lejeune and Cher either side I thought they all complemented each other and each made each other look better players and I think although I think Paul Dummett has done very very well since he's come in and has probably been Newcastle's best defender over the last few weeks I don't think the their strengths complement each other as much as when he's got Lejeune to the left of him because he feels more confident just allowing Cher and Lejeune to play it out then Lascelles doesn't have to focus on doing that I think Lascelles has come unstuck most during his Newcastle career when he's tried to play a little bit too much that's not what he's best at what he's best at is directing his defence leading the team and doing the basics headers clearances that sort of thing and, and allowing the likes of Cher and, and, and Lejeune to be a bit more expressive because then he covers for them and I think he's he didn't have a good game on Saturday night and he was certainly the first goal he'd lost Van Dijk even before he fell over Liverpool talked about a clever routine Yes, there was partial blocking, but Lascelles just completely lost where he was. It wasn't he wasn't even following him, and so that was poor. But I I, I don't think I think that Lascelles is someone who people come down quite heavily on when he, he makes a couple of mistakes. But I think that for the large part, he's contributed a lot again this season. Hi there, it's Caroline Foran from Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please do follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. The sooner we all get on board with these measures, the sooner we will be all together again. While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. The man who had another... Uh, great performance was was Isaac Hayden. Yeah. Uh, I think George, you other than the match day program, have done probably the last big interview with him. I think it was back in the national break. His rhetoric though seems to have changed slightly. The, the interview we gave after the game on Saturday was if I do leave. Uh, there was an interview the, the week before where he was talking about we as a club going forward, and obviously we know he's, he's talking the fans. He's not going to kind of say he's not going to separate the two, him and the club, but. Do you feel his rhetoric's changing from when you last spoke to him? I think his, I think it's changed in the sense because of what happened last summer where he thought he was leaving and came close to leaving and then wasn't able to leave 
Um, I think he's. I think that's what that's about, really. I think his position hasn't changed, and I, you know, I would expect him to leave this summer, and I think that's what he expects too. But of course, there has to be a, there has to be a buyer, and there has to be a price, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I would, I would want to pay tribute to him, though, both as a as a footballer and as a man, because I think he's been sensational, and it's sort of. I mean, it's. It's sad and it's also frustrating and it's kind of also quite emotive. But the thing I love about him is that he's gone through all this really quite difficult stuff off the pitch and yet he's been as committed as anybody to the team. And it's and I know this from speaking to him, it's not that he wants to leave Newcastle, it's that he feels he has to leave Newcastle and that he has to put his family first. And I think we all have to respect that and... Um, you know, I admire him for, you know, you would never want a player to down tools, um, but he's sort of done the opposite. He's come back into the team and he's been a proper, he's been a proper leader. He's been a proper figure of substance. He's played a massive role. I love the fact that fans sang his name during that the sort of lap of appreciation on Saturday, and I only wish. I only wish good things for him. I think he has come here and fallen in love with it. It's just that his heart is leading him somewhere else. Two points. First of all, just in terms of the way that he's been, I think that the way that he's played over the last four months has made it both easier and more difficult for him. I think it's made it easier because there'll be more interest, more difficult because now he's worth a lot more money than he probably was in January in Newcastle. Understandably, will want to try and get value for money, although I do hope, as George says, that it comes to the conclusion here's in once because he's put in... He's been excellent over the last few months, despite everything's been going on. And he thought he was leaving last summer. He then thought he had a chance of leaving in January. And he's had to put all that behind him. And he's been an ever-present in the team in 2019 and thoroughly deserves to be. The second point, just more in terms of speaking about Isaac Hayden, the person. The other day, my girlfriend asked me quite a... It was, it was just a bit of a throwaway question, just in terms of uh, who, who's your favourite Newcastle player? And I mean, in terms of, for, for me as a journalistic point of view, and. You know, it just seemed like a throwaway question, but then I started thinking about it, and and, and I actually started going. A few players came to mind because I was trying to separate from a personal point of view in terms of watching them football wise, and also journalistically, who's good to deal with, who do I like speaking to, and now Isaac Hayden comes in there straight away. But then I started thinking of the likes of Iosia Perez, Christian Atsu, very nice bloke, really nice person. So if you go on a personal level, you've got that, and it made me start to think about what Rafa Benitez has done. It as well is create a dressing room of players who most of them are genuinely nice people the majority of them you take away the football inside of them but they're also he's, he's brought in characters so they all they show leadership the likes of Matt Ritchie and Jamal Lascelles but they're also people who there aren't necessarily for, for want of a better term quote unquote quote bad apples in that dressing room as most there was before and I think that's something that almost gets overlooked but I think he's done very very well with it and Isaac Hayden certainly is one of them that's I mean that is a great point I can't use the word that I kind of used on uh, social media they have a very low count of what is the right? What is a phrase? That, what is a word? You can, that can use it or beep it out. Oh, okay. So there's a very low <laughs> count in this in this team, and um, that it does mean something. That it does actually mean a lot because although we can get frustrated and kind of annoyed with the failings, uh, you know, mistakes that are made, you can't get angry with the team because you or, or you can't get angry with the players because you know that they're trying their hardest and you know that they get it and. Um, that's something that, I mean, it's been tough to watch Newcastle for certainly the first half of the season, but you always have that knowledge that 
they're they're decent they're decent lads trying their best and you can get you can get away with a lot with that level of you know with those with that type of people Hayden's Hayden um, the you know the sad thing is is that he gets this club and um, he does understand it he contributes off the pitch he's contributed massively on the pitch it will be very sad if and when he goes I would expect him to though he's an example of an academy that has done very well as well coming through at Arsenal you can see that how that he speaks of it as well how that's helped him both as a player but also as a person and, and develop that personality and he when you speak to him he's, he's he doesn't just give the cliched answers that a lot of footballers do he's yeah. very measured in his response he thinks them through but then out on the pitch you can see where he's learned at Arsenal the, the nice bits of football he can play but also he's got that hardened edge to him and and that's 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 an, that's an example of a, an academy working well and what you can produce and Arsenal do that as well I mean they've got some of their academy players in their first team as well now and that's the first ever beep I think on our podcast George so you can have that uh, that title Uh, and I suppose that leads us nicely not the beep in the actual the the whole nice dressing room but it leads us nicely onto the final question which I'm sure everyone is waiting for it's about Rafa Benitez's future Um, and we know transfers is going to be a huge thing for him does the fact that the dressing room is full of nice characters, does that make it harder to bring in a big-name player? Because you might bring in someone who's worth 25, 30 million with a massive ego. Does that risk rocking the boat and, and kind of affecting what Rafa Benitez has built? Because it's we, we've all seen him build um, a squad which is lacking in talent in some areas, but the, the effort and the commitment to the cause kind of supersedes that in many ways yeah I mean I think that has to be the bottom line I, mean, I think that has to be the bottom line so I think I mean I remember Alan Pardew used the used the kind of phrase the problem is we sign rascals and we said that in a, in a conversation I had with him and you look back to again this is when they focused on youth and they were particularly kind of you know looking at France and stuff like that and players like Kabai effectively went on strike to leave Newcastle. Sissoko went on strike to get to Newcastle. Ben Arthur was obviously a sort of interesting, prickly character. And, you know, really talented footballers, but ultimately not good enough to stop Newcastle going down last time. And you have to have, you know, you have to have an ethos at the at the football club. And the good thing about the team at the moment is that for whatever they lack in talent, they make up for with a willingness to learn to try to be part of it and you know there's a decency there at the core of the team that is pretty powerful that has to stay there's no reason why a 35 million I mean I would love Newcastle to sign a 35 million pound footballer I can't imagine that's going to happen uh, anytime soon but there's no reason why a 35 million pound footballer can't be a decent human being as well I think that has to be the I think character has to be the backdrop for everything. Well, I think that one thing that Benitez asks his recruitment team to do and that he's, when he speaks to agents and he speaks to directors of football that he knows across Europe is he, he, he likes background checks as well. For him, it's not just about what a player offers on the pitch, although obviously that is first and foremost what they need to do, but he speaks about it and he even says himself, you're never quite sure and a player may come and their wife may not settle or their family may not settle or there may be issues which, which doesn't allow the transfer to succeed. But he really does buy into that and he wants to see does it I remember one of his uh, former scouts in Eastern Europe always tells a story about how uh, he he was watching a player and, and he sent a video clip to Rafa and Rafa watched it and 
just kept on saying to him, he doesn't look like he was that disappointed that he missed that <laughs> chance. Does that mean he's, does that mean he isn't that bothered? And it's that sort of thing. It's about these small details. And again, personality is one of those things. And uh, but one thing Benitez also recognises is the need to have players of that additional quality. He always cites Aiden Hazard, and he says, "If you've got Aiden Hazard in your team, I don't need to do as much." Essentially, you just give him the ball, and he might do something yeah. different. He knows that. The way Newcastle are at the minute, there is a limit to what they can achieve unless they bring in those players who have proven top flight quality. Yeah, and that should be the next that should be the next stage for Newcastle. Yeah. So as you understand it, George, where are we at then with Rafa Benitez's contract? Uh I don't think things have moved on substantially in the last few weeks. Um I mean I know that the tone um of his press conference was was positive on Friday. I mean I think that's because he wants things to be positive and he wanted it to be positive on Saturday um, but I don't think things have substantially moved on there haven't been any substantial talks recently with, with him and Lee Charnley and certainly nothing with, with Ashley yet that has to change and and I think there will be I think there will be a meeting um, but again still you know there are still there are still things up in the air there is, as I mentioned earlier, there is this takeover window that we're in the minute. That's an interesting sort of little complication. Whether it's a st- substantive one remains to be seen. Um, and, you know, there's also then the fact that uh, how do you how do you get the two sides to sort of compromise enough or to, you know, it's this kind of infuriating thing that fans can want Rafa to stay, Rafa can want Rafa to stay, the clubs say they want Rafa to stay, why isn't he staying? You know, why isn't that agreed? And without kind of raking up the, you know, the sort of the whole history of that, it is about fractured trust. So, how can the club persuade Rafa that this time they can trust him? How can Rafa build that into a contract or build that into a, you know, build that into an agreement? Because they've, it's not just about budget, as he says, and. You know, he says it's about how and when they spend it, and that's a very clear message. So, it's you know, it's about going earlier. It's about going at the right time. It's about who they spend it on. It's about you know, it's about all those things. And if they don't do it, what can he do about it? So, I think there are I think there are thorny things, and eventually, Ashley Ashley has to have the, you know, has to become part of that conversation, and that's that's what will happen. And that's quite interesting because. Obviously, Ashley is the kind of pantomime villain in all of this, but when he does come to the front and he does get involved, sometimes, or more recently, it has worked out in Castle's favour with Almiron. The last time Benitez and Rafa met, it kind of, uh, sorry, Benitez and Ashley met, it kind of worked in Castle's favour because they sat down and then he ended up staying on. So it's not necessarily a bad thing that the, the two meet because that tends to be when things work out. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the big thing that he's, I think that. Ashley or the club have tried to portray over the last few years is that Meg Ashley doesn't have the final decision on things that happen in Newcastle. I think he said it in the from the Parliamentary Commission. And I'm afraid that, in, from my opinion, that just isn't true. When there's a big decision that comes around, unless Meg Ashley gives it the say-so, it doesn't happen. And I, one of the things that I believe that's held up the contract talks over the last few weeks is I think that Benitez sits there in front of Lee Charnley who has his conversation, sorry, with Lee Charnley, and he doesn't believe that he's speaking to the man who can actually make the ultimate decisions. And that yeah. if he is going to get... He, 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 I think that Benitez has set his... His demands at such a high level, I think he knows he won't get everything there. 
but he wants to push it as far as he can. And I think that he's, when he speaks to Charnley, he's thinking, I don't know if you can actually make the final decision on this. I need to sit down with Mike Ashley and see how what the parameters actually are and how far they can be shifted. And for me, that's part of the reason why it's never going to be resolved until the two of them sit down. And, and I'm, I'm pretty certain that at the moment there's nothing on the table for Rafa to sign. So that the last kind of round of talks I mean, have effectively been about, OK, tell us what you want or tell us what it takes for you to stay. And that then supersedes previous offers. I don't think there's anything there for him on the table. I mean, that is, that's a concern as far as I'm... Well, it's a huge concern. There's one game of the season left, for, for God's sake. But, um, and it should have been resolved far, 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 far sooner. Um, they have to decide... If, if this regime stays, they have to decide what kind of club they are. We've been at this fork in the road before, and um, but they have to decide what kind of club they are. If for Rafa to stay, they have to, you know, they are going to have to compromise and they're going to have to accept that their way of doing things isn't a way that can keep in. Just, I just want to say, just going on the worst case scenario and say if Rafa does leave... There's also the complicating factor that Benitez's contract runs until June 30th and that he has the final say on any income and transfers. So Newcastle could be in a position as well where Benitez is going and actually they can't find... Uh, yes, they can do transfers ahead of the uh, the start of July, but they may get another manager in who, at that point, doesn't actually have the final say on transfers because that's written into Benitez's contract that they can't sign someone unless he says yes. So that's another bizarre, complicated factor we have to add into all of this because it's dragged on so long and because it hasn't been resolved. Do you think Benitez is holding out that Newcastle may get taken over in the near future? I mean, I don't think that's something you can he could hold out... Four, because I think there were so many, you know, there were so many sort of problems with that. As a, I mean, I would, I would love that to be the case, but I don't think anybody can kind of hold out. And I don't really think he's doing the holding out. I think it's coming from the other side. He he has told them what he wants, and I think the delay has been any having any sort of substantive response to that. I think you know the latest is that there will be a meeting with with Ashley. In the past, Ashley has kind of just been able to kind of break that deadlock by saying, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, or by saying no or whatever. He has the power to do that. You know, he's only got till June the 30th of his contract left and takeovers, even when something is agreed, there would be a delay of weeks, you know. So there is still a, you know, there is still a time time constraint. And that meeting with Ashley, I mean, last summer, Benitez met Ashley, I think it was in Sherbrooke, and basically didn't like the majority of what he heard. But I think what he did like about the fact was that he was actually hearing it from Mike Ashley. But I think that yeah. the answers to a lot of the questions which he put last summer, some of them at least need to have changed for this summer. One of them was, and some of them have, because one of them was to do with the academy and changes are now starting there. That is meant to be the club. Sean Rafa, look, we're starting to implement some of them. So there has been some movement in some areas. Yeah. And Benitez wants to see if there's been movement in other areas, because when he sat down in front of Ashley last summer, he was told training ground, you we're not putting any money into that at this moment in time. The academy at that point wasn't going to be changed. Uh, he didn't get the necessary transfer budget he wanted or the, the powers to, to enact, to use the transfer budget how he wanted. So he needs things to have changed between that conversation last summer and the conversation he's going to have in the next, in the upcoming weeks. And one thing that just sort of that struck me when, when Lee Charnley did his briefing recently was that he said that the club had been trying for 18 months to get Rafa to stay. And that kind of made me laugh a little bit because when the original contact was made, I'm pretty sure it was during the January transfer window and it was halfway through that, or might have been just before, whatever, but 
Rafa was up, so this was the first season back in the Premier League, wasn't it? Yeah. And Rafa was absolutely frantic about players, about he'd done all this work and put in hours and hours and hours and days and weeks of planning to try and get people. And then suddenly the club fixated on his contract and he was just bemused by And they hadn't that. signed anyone by that stage. And they hadn't signed anyone, but it's like, well, hang on, what are you doing? It's like, my position isn't important. It's about, we have to get, we have to get players in, then we can talk. And anyway, they did that and they brought the players in on loan. And then talks, next time talks started substantially, may have been in the summer. And at that point it was, yeah, well, if you don't sign your contract, we're not going to sign players. We're not going to buy players because why should we buy players that the next manager might not want? So you've got this, you've had this sort of dislocation between manager and club over contract, over future, about the way the club has done, uh, the way the club is run, and all that kind of thing. So they can say that they've been trying for eighteen months, but they've been talking in a language that is utterly alien to to, to Benitez, and I'm afraid is utterly alien to most people in football. Is there more rest on this because it isn't just a case of Benitez signing a contract? It's a case of Newcastle United could need five or six players just to make sure the squad. Just to make sure there's a squad there, let alone, you know, having the depth because you have the potential of Diarmi, Hayden, Shelby, Rondon, Perez is attracting interest from the likes of Milan and Napoli reportedly. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to do just to make sure that the squad is playable. Yeah, and sort of, I mean, that is a, that's a very specific point. I mean, very important one. But the big, I mean, the sort of the bigger one is that Benitez is. The, is the glue that keeps the club together. I mean, it, from the team to the stands, you know, the fact that people have any sort of good feeling towards the club is largely to do with him. I mean, you just have to, you know, just have to hear the the songs being sung on Saturday and the War Flags fellas um, saying, we want this to show Rafa how much we want him to stay. I mean, all of this hangs around him. Now, another manager comes in, the club moves forward, but it will be very, very difficult to 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 keep the good stuff about the club at the minute focused and 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 pushing on because Rafa is 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 the emotive glue that keeps it that hangs it all together. If people feel proud about this team, it's because of him making it better. If people feel proud about their club, it's because of him because of that relationship they have. I mean, I dread to think what would happen if if he left. I mean, it is it's there. It always feels like there's big moments at Newcastle, but this summer. Uh, feels like an especially an especially big one. Do you think you'll be in charge of Newcastle when they go to China? Then <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I am. I do naturally assume that the worst that the worst will happen. I mean, when it comes to Newcastle, because I think that's what life's life's taught me. I don't know. I think the stuff. I think you know there is a will for him to stay. He has a will to stay. I've heard. I've heard mixed things. I've heard, you know people around him say that there's no chance he'll stay if, if Ashley's still at the club equally where else does he go you know I think for the next couple of years he wants to remain in this country and stay close to his family in an ideal world are there are there will there be other options for him close by but if he stays with this regime you know things do have to change it's either him swallowing his pride and saying fine I'll work with this regime and do what they want and do it, or the club have to change. And so there's a big, you know, I can't say, I I, I don't, I just don't, I mean, I, I, 
pray that he does stay. That's that's how I feel. I'm, I don't want to make any predictions at this stage. Interesting that Arsene Wenger's name was linked to uh, to the post over the weekend over in France, not by people around him specifically, but people suggesting that he could be persuaded to take on such a project if Benitez left. Yeah, I mean, I think that at the moment you've got a lot of agents, certainly on the continent, who are trying to push managers Newcastle's way and they're seeing that there's the potential that Newcastle are going to need a manager and so uh, the Wenger link I, I mean I, I generally don't I, I, he's spoken positively about the club before would he be someone who, who would be thinking that he'd like Newcastle I mean it would working under the current regime I think I would find it hard to believe that he would follow Benitez and do that because Benitez at the time I didn't see coming in three years ago he came into the under the regime and he has found it exasperating at times, and I think that Wenger would look at it and see that a man who w- was at Arsenal for so many years had so much success. I'm sure he's had plenty of other offers, so I think that's probably more come from someone, not necessarily rep- represent him directly, who but who believes they can push him Newcastle's way. Um, I mean, at the moment, Newcastle insists that they have, they're not considering any alternative. But Benitez, my what I would say is that I, I think that it would be, I'm done for the right word. There would be silly not to at this stage. They've got they've got to they've got to put all the focus on keeping Benitez. But at the same time, because he hasn't signed, there has to be a thought process of if he doesn't sign, who, who are we going to go for next? And I don't know who that would be. I don't know what direction they would go in. Um, I don't know what sort of names they will be looking at there. I just hope, as George says, that it's Rafa Benitez who's still here at the start of next season. But if it isn't going to be Benitez, I'd be surprised if it's Wenger. I'll just put it that way. The the best thing this regime has done is a point. Rafa as manager amongst the many terrible things this regime has done is not recognising that Rafa Benitez is their manager and that is you know that is the certainly not going to use the word tragedy that is the sort of great shame of this of this situation is that they have a world class asset um, and uh, they have a big club manager and they still behave like a small club Um. I don't think, again, I don't think many people would disagree with you on that. Takeovers, and we are, like you say, at the window now. Newcastle are safe. Um, so it's like that more stories going to pop up about potential interest. Do you see, because again, the window to the, to, the, to the new season isn't all that long. And for a takeover to, to kind of happen and, and the, the manager of it is Benitez or you know, whoever it may be, to then be given the money to then go out and sign the players, because I would mention Newcastle are going to need quite a few players this summer the window is very small to get anything done yeah I think that's fair I mean I think since um, since Newcastle have been safe or more or less safe I think that window opens opens again but I mean really interest and contact has never gone away that's always been there we saw over last winter what a kind of waste of time that was because um, uh, my understanding was always that kind of Peter Kenyon's group was never going to get anywhere near in terms of raising funds. Others are still there. I mean, I, I know that, but uh, you say you say stories will pop up. I actually hope they don't pop up because what needs to happen is it needs to happen behind the scenes and they need to get on with it. And if it's going to happen, it needs to come as a surprise effectively because that's that's tends to be how, how takeovers work. Um, so... There is a window. I know that people listening to this will raise their eyes and will shrug their shoulders and will say, yeah, never going to happen. And I completely 
sympathise and empathise uh, with people who do say that because it's you know the club has been for sale what three times now and it's been up for sale for 18 months however, however long it is and nothing's happened but we're now we are now back at that point so if something's going to happen it would have to happen it would have to happen pretty pretty quickly yeah i've always thought that if a takeover is going to happen it's most likely to happen in an off season sort of towards the end if newcastle are safe and in this sort of position i like george have, have heard that well know that there are still people in the round who are interested in the club but as, as we've been here so many times before until it actually happens probably in an, an almost overnight sort of situation whereby it's someone's a, a price has been agreed with Ashley someone is literally going to buy the club in the next two days I think that is when if and when this is going to happen I think that that's what's going to happen I, I think that it's dragging on for weeks and a lot of people saying oh I'm interested x y and z I, I don't think that that you just look at the history of takeovers across European football clubs and very rarely do you have a situation whereby someone declares that they're interested in buying a club three months before they do usually they're basically boarded before anyone knows that they're boarded I think it would be nice to think that that was going to happen but the club are operating as if Mike Ashley's going to be here in the medium term Rafa Benitez is, is negotiating with that club's current hierarchy because at the moment that's who's here and at the moment we can't be certain that anything is going to change in that regard well, there we have it. Uh, it's certainly going to be an interesting summer. George, thank you very much for, for popping in. Chris, thank you as usual. You can over to Chronicle Live uh, to keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news, including the last press conference um, of the season with Rafa Benitez, potentially the last press conference, pre-match press conference of his Newcastle United uh, career, which is a scary thought, and of course the uh, match day coverage on Sunday. Thank you very much. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.